I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to the Boxing for Free podcast. Some of you might be wondering why I didn't do a podcast last week, why I only uh, did a blog. And the truth behind that is, well, I came down with a cold, a nasty one, and I couldn't speak for five seconds without having to, you know, cough up a few uh, bo- ounces of bodily fluids that I need. So, and I realized, you know, I could have edited that all out, so that way everything sounds somewhat coherent, but uh, that would have taken a long time. I really didn't have the energy. I barely had energy for the blog, but uh, it looks like spring is finally here in Calgary, so I shouldn't get used to it because it'll probably snow in a few minutes because this is Calgary, let's not forget. But uh, I'm feeling a lot better. Uh, We're going to be covering 24-7 at the end of the episode. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's get this podcast started. There are some fighters out there, win or lose, I can't help but respect them. Steve Cunningham, the former cruiserweight champion, is one of those people. Last week, Cunningham went into the ring against the larger and undefeated Amir Mansour, and despite being very close to losing in the fifth round when Mansour knocked him down twice, Cunningham was able to survive and continue to fight, showing real skill, heart, and sheer guts, because Mansour was uh, outweighing him by, I believe, 20 pounds in that fight. It was a pretty good performance, a pretty good fight, and even though I was watching this the day after it aired, I'm watching it on YouTube, I, you know, have it large screen on my computer, I totally... I was really invested in the fight because when Steve, I was kind of rooting for Steve, and um, when he got knocked down in the fifth, I I kind of jumped up. I'm like, no, come on, get up, get up! And I kind of thought, wait a minute, what am I doing? I know he's won the fight already, but huh? Uh, no, but if you actually go back and watch that uh, fifth round knockdown, I was shocked because. Mansoor kind of stopped him in his tracks with a uh, with one punch and then dropped him with another, and uh, it 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 looked like it was going to be the end there. I did hear some people complain that Steve Smoker's count was long, but uh, I went back, I rewatched it, I shut off the audio, and I did my own count. And even though it, uh, Smoker's count was slower than mine. By my count, Cunningham was still on his feet, you know, before I reached 10. It's not like I had gotten to, you know, 15 and he was just getting up. No, I, I had it, at, I think it was like uh, in between, saying 8 and 9, and he was up on his feet. It, it probably uh, wasn't the best count of Smoker's career, but for the love of God, Steve Smoker is one of the best referees in the sport, and uh, this is probably one of the minuscule blemishes he has on that record of excellence. It was a good win for Cunningham, who really needed to win the fight to somewhat stay relevant in the heavyweight division, and he also has his own personal reasons for fighting, and that is his daughter, and I'm going to play the audio uh, from the broadcast explaining uh, Cunningham's daughter's, uh, her medical condition. 
Kennedy Cunningham, the family's eight-year-old daughter who was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Put simply, the left side of her heart just doesn't work. She has undergone two surgeries already, and this year the Cunninghams believe she would soon be strong enough for a life-saving heart transplant. But because of the collateral veins that have become visible on Kennedy's skin, doctors believe that if they perform the procedure, Kennedy would bleed out. The Cunninghams refuse to give up hope and are seeking second opinions. But as Steve told us yesterday, now it's essentially a matter of time before Kennedy suffers heart failure. So, again, you can understand why I respect a guy like Steve Cunningham. It's not just that he hung in there and survived the, uh, the hard knockdowns in the fifth round. But, you know, he's fighting for the life of his daughter. How the hell can't you respect that? Now, as I say at the top of the podcast, uh, I live in Calgary, it can snow all the time here, but I think Canelo Alvarez might be a bit confused by the weather in Calgary because he might think that it's Christmas because he seems to be giving me a present I've been asking for for quite a while. He says that he's interested in fighting Eris Landilara. No, I am not high, and no, I don't think this is a dream. Yeah, he uh, said on Twitter that he is uh, planning to come back. Uh, the date was, uh, give me one sec, it was July 12th at the MGM in Las Vegas, Nevada, and that he has apparently sent an offer to Lara, and he is waiting to hear back. The thing about this, though, and I, I, I please, you know, try, try to understand where I'm coming from here, just be a bit patient, um... Laura's next fight is, uh, I believe it is May 2nd, yeah, it's uh, the day before uh, the moment, the Mayweather-Maidana card. Uh, he's going to be fighting Ishe Smith. That only leaves him approximately 10 weeks from May 2nd to July 12th to get ready. The, the, the real question is, for Lara, will that be enough time for him to get ready? I mean, keep in mind, it hasn't been signed yet. No, nothing's confirmed yet. You don't want to... You don't want to commit until, you know, you've actually got the victory. I mean, I hate to keep bringing that up, but remember Victor Ortiz before he fought Josecito Lopez? But... If I were Lara, I would go for it. I honest to God would. I would go in there against Ishe Smith. I'd go in there, probably beat the hell out of him. I've, uh, I'm saying that if I were Eris Lendi Lara, not if I were me in my current 140-pound uh, state. Uh, no, if I were Lara, I'd go in there, beat up Ishe Smith. I mean, I, I, not to downplay the guy, but I, I just don't see Smith giving... Lara that hard a time. Sorry if you're an Ishe Smith fan. If you're out there. But, um, no, uh, I would do that. Take, you know, two weeks off to recover and then start an eight week training camp to get ready for Canelo Alvarez. This is the fight that Lara has always wanted. It would be nice if there was a bit more time, so that way there's no there's no chance of controversy at all. But um, I mean, I I don't know Arislandi Lara personally. I'm not uh, going to guess what's going through his mind. 
but I think that he will take the I think that he will take the uh, opportunity and he will fight Alvarez. Um, that's good. That hopefully, if it does happen, if it's keep in mind, it's not signed yet. It's not signed or anything. But uh, apparently, it w I've heard that it will be on pay per view. Uh, it'd be a great win for Alvarez if he won. And I'm not saying that he will. I'm not saying that Lara is going to win. I mean, yes, I am leaning towards Lara. But keep in mind, I was surprised by uh, how well Canelo handled Alfredo Angulo. And remember, I did not pick Canelo to win that fight. I was incredibly stupid and picked Angulo by decision. Yeah, n n not one of my best predictions. But um, we'll see what happens with that. And, uh, as promised, we are going to be covering the latest episode of 24-7. Uh, the HBO's, uh, taken my advice and decided, okay, a month of these shows really isn't... <laughs> they, they just realize that they get stale very quickly, so they've cut them down to two, and... You know what? I really enjoyed the, uh, the first episode. I thought there was... Nothing really bad about it. So, without further ado, let's uh, get into the second episode. It's been years now since a champion from a faraway land first transformed this boxing gym and the life of its owner. You can tell this is supposed to be serious because they've got the mystic pan flute playing in the background. And I've also noticed that uh, after the credits play for 24-7 now, they, they make sure to mention that it's narrated by Liev Schreiber. Why are they doing this now? He's been... Everybody knows that he's the narrator for these episodes. He's been doing them for the past seven years. Floyd Mayweather likes to say that, you know, he's he's always been the star of 24-7. No, it's been Liev Schreiber. Without that narration, the show is... Uh, well, okay, they're, they're not always the best. But you know what? They'd be terrible. So the episode opens, and we see that Freddie Roach has created... A new separate training facility for Manny Pacquiao right underneath the old wildcard gym. It's different because it's more private while we're training, during training, so it's good. Good for me. And they show Pacquiao training, and when he's hitting the mitts with Freddie Roach, he, he has this determined look on his face. I, I find it kind of hard to believe Bradley when he says that Pacquiao has lost his killer instinct. I, I, I just don't believe that, and Freddie Roach agrees with me, but, um, I mean, I think Freddie Roach has to say that. He's very good. He's very mentally good. He's very strong. Uh, you know, when Bradley told him that he lost his focus and he doesn't have the killer instinct anymore at the face-off, he felt like he was disrespected a little bit, and uh, he said to me, we'll see who lost his killer instinct. Remember, you don't have to be throwing those heavy shots or the speed shots. a killer. Killer. Okay? You know, payback is a I added that little sensor beep in there just because uh, it cuts the audio out whenever somebody swears in this episode. So, uh, yeah, you use your imagination. You're creative like that. Anyway, they uh, transitioned to Pacquiao's house, a, a house that he purchased back in 2009, but has only just begun to uh, live in. 
I, I don't understand how a person can do that, but when you're as rich as Manny Pacquiao, you probably can. Uh, the only family member he brought with him was his dog, Pac-Man Pacquiao. In case you didn't know, his dog, uh... It has his nickname, so whatever. Uh, the reason Jinky and uh, the rest of the kids aren't there is because Jinky is pregnant with Manny's, uh, I believe it's his fifth child. It's a boy. Uh, he's going to be naming the boy Israel. And as Jimmy Kimmel uh, asked him, I didn't know you were Jewish, but uh, it, it also you know, has occurred to me that Manny Pacquiao might have the biggest entourage since... Sugar Ray Robinson, because there are so many people in this house, and apparently each one has their own purpose, uh, you know, for the pleasure of Manny Pacquiao. I mean, one guy is there just to give him massages or something. Whatever, I mean, whatever makes him comfortable, I guess. Moving on. We transition to Bradley's camp, and I would love to ask the director of this episode, what is your obsession with cars driving up in slow motion and then watching the people in the car get out in slow motion? We kind of figure out how they get there. It's not like Bradley's going to walk from his house to the training facility. You don't have to show the car driving up in slow motion. We get it. You're short on material. You need to make this last 25 minutes or however long it needs to be. But come on. There has got to be a better way to pad out an episode. I mean, isn't that what I'm doing right now, ranting about you, about or about anybody getting out of a car in slow motion? I should probably quit while I'm ahead. Feels fantastic being training camp right now. I feel like I never left, actually, when I came back to the gym. I stay pretty active during my time off. But uh, it feels good to be back here, be at my own gym, be out here training at home. I gotta say, I do find the the uh, material with Bradley just a bit more interesting than the material with Pacquiao mainly because we we've seen so much of Manny Pacquiao documented and put onto film and shown all over the world we don't know that much about Bradley and his inner circle and who is on his team but uh, thankfully HBO you know, fills us in on that. Valuable, too, is the group that surrounded him here in Indio, California, throughout his steady rise. His father, who they call Big Ray, assistant trainer Sam Jackson, strength and conditioning coach James Rugeley, and longtime head trainer Joel Diaz. Joel has brought me from when I was an amateur fighter and turned me into a, a four-time world champion. Shoot the right through, come back with a hook. Joel Diaz being a leader, you know, the captain of the ship, you know, he's brought me a long way. Bradley is right when he says that Joel Diaz is the captain of the ship because it, you hear the way that uh, Joel's talked to Bradley in the corner sometimes, you can tell, okay, Bradley's not the one calling the shots. He's, it, it's kind of hard for me to describe the relationship, but you can obviously tell that there, there's respect there, there's admiration, but at the same time, you know, Joel knows his responsibility and Bradley knows his. He doesn't have Joel there just to, you know, take his mouthpiece out, you know, between rounds and ask, how are you doing? And, you know, spray water on him. While their partnership has been defined by a perfect 31 triumphs and 31 bouts, 
the controversy over victory number 29 nearly two years ago continues to loom over them. A fact that gives the Pacquiao rematch an undeniable significance and means the expectations surrounding it are absolute. Nice. nice. Knockout. That's it. It's the only way, that's the only way this fight's gonna win. Uh, I'm sorry, Tim, could you repeat that? Knockout. Uh, I, I, again, please? Knockout. For those of you who don't have a uh, box rec in front of you, like I do, the last time Tim Bradley scored a knockout was actually this decade. It was uh, November 12th, 2011, and it was against 40-year-old Joel Casamayor. Okay, um... And before that, the last time Bradley knocked out an opponent was back all the way back in April, April of 2007. I, I, I'm sorry, Tim. Are you really serious about that knockout thing? Knockout. That's it. It's the only way. That's the only way this fight's gonna win. Okay, moving on. Because if the fight goes the distance and it's close, we're not gonna win. Well, that's a bit of a ridiculous thing to say. The last fight wasn't close and you still won that. Uh, it's also here that I found out, I think I may have heard about this before, but uh, it seems that Timothy Bradley also fired his manager Cameron Duncan, or didn't renew his contract with him, and instead uh, had his wife Monica become his manager. I decided that, hey, Baby, you gonna manage me now. Let's keep it in the family. Why not? You know, I'm paying this guy a whole lot of money to manage me and stuff. When you, when you, when you can do the same thing that he's doing. Among Monica's first responsibilities were handling the terms for the Pacquiao rematch and negotiating a two-year contract extension with Top Rank, her husband's promoter. Just part of the early productive and positive returns on the arrangement they feel is best for securing their future. Tim has been climbing up the ladder. He is the one that does it ultimately. We're obviously here to make the best that we can for not only Tim, but for our family. You know, we, we don't want to turn around years from now and look back and not have something that we've built on. We both have set goals, and now it's just a matter of putting it in plan on how to get it. And we're doing it together. So we go back to Pacquiao's camp and we meet his new strength and conditioning coach. Uh, who was actually his old strength and conditioning coach before Alex Ariza, Justin Fortune. Fortune previously worked for Pacquiao from 2002 to 2007. I decided to bring back Justin because he, we, we know each other, you know. We work each other before. Many asked me if I could bring Justin Fortune back as a strength coach because we were undefeated when Justin was with us. We never lost, and it was just like, Manny wanted something from the past back. They get along well. He, Justin knows what buttons to push. He knows how to make Manny work. Roach says that they were undefeated while they were working with Justin Fortune, but, um... Did Roach forget the first fight with Eric Morales? You know, the fight that Pacquiao lost? I'm I'm sorry if it seems like I'm nitpicking, but shouldn't you kind of remember important stuff like that? And also, can't you just say that you brought Justin Fortune back mainly because you fired Alex Ariza? 
I mean, I know you don't want to mention him every episode, like, oh, you know, Alex Ariza was fired. But, come on, look, who's kidding who here? Bradley asked for the old Pacquiao back, so we'll give it to him. But don't, when you get him back, that's the thing. You can ask for it, we'll give it to you, and don't complain. No crying. The rest of the episode is uh, mostly a lot of padding. We see that Joel Diaz works with the Boys and Girls Club. He uh, has a boxing program there, and it uh, looks like he's doing a lot of good work. We see that Freddie Roach has uh, some new assistants in the wildcard gym, and for some reason, he goes to get his hair cut. You know, like I said, they these things tend to become really short on material. So... They, uh, you know, you, we get to watch Freddie Roach getting his hair cut, and all of a sudden, Mickey Rourke shows up, dressed... I, I don't know if, if this is how he normally dressed, or if he's cosplaying as a homeless man, but... He just looks like he's some hobo off the street, and he decides to walk into this place and talk about how endowed Freddie Roach is. Yeah, he, he decides to start talking about... You know what? I don't even want to talk about it because it's like, why? Why is this on film and why was this... Why was this put to air? What what was, you know, so uninteresting about, you know, all the other material that you got that you said, no, 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 let's talk about... Uh, uh, let's hear Mickey Rourke talk about, you know, Freddie Roach's length in the shower. Jesus Christ. So, you're probably all wondering, now that we don't have to deal with, you know, slow motion exits from vehicles, now that this 24-7 series is more or less done, what's my prediction for the fight? Timothy Bradley thinks that Manny Pacquiao has lost his killer instinct. It's not an unreasonable theory. I mean... Look at the Pacquiao himself will admit that he did go easy on Bradley and, you know, he was just being kind to him. And looking back at it, that's how it felt watching the fight. I just thought, you know, if Pacquiao stepped it up, he could probably drop or stop Bradley. But uh, he didn't. And I think he's learned from that. That's not to say that Bradley is a pushover. As we saw in the Provodnikov fight, Bradley is one tough SOB. He is a well-conditioned fighter. He can hang in there when the going gets tough. He can hang in there when the going gets very tough. And despite his lack of knockouts, it's kind of a mistake to think that you can walk through his punches because Provodnikov uh, wasn't, you know, brushing off his punches. Juan Manuel Marquez almost got knocked down at the end of the fight. He was very close to uh, being put on his butt at the in the 12th round. But I'm going to be leaning towards Manny Pacquiao in this fight. Bradley says that, uh, you know, as I said before, Bradley thinks that Pacquiao lost his killer instinct, but look back at at the fourth fight with Ma with Juan Manuel Marquez. That was the best fight, and Pacquiao was coming very, very close to stopping Marquez. You know, my dad, 
he loves that fight. He absolutely loves it because we watched it live. We watched it all happen. And he was so certain that in the next round, Pacquiao was going to stop Marquez. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. But I think that Pacquiao knows that this is probably his last chance. That after this, you know, he's not going to have the same luster that he used to have. And that now is the time to focus on his political aspirations. He's already a congressman. He, he said that he may want to run for president. And losing, uh, losing three out of your last four fights might be incentive for you to do so. However, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Manny Pacquiao is going to be very aggressive. I'm not going to give uh, a score, but I do think that it's going to be a unanimous decision for Manny Pacquiao. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Boxing for Free podcast. You can find us at www.boxingforfree.com, twitter.com slash boxingforfree, be like Eris Lara, Robert the Ghost Guerrero, Adonis Stevenson, and hundreds of others. Follow us on Twitter. You won't regret it. Go to youtube.com slash boxingforfree and facebook.com slash boxingforfree page. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Zoom, Podbean, and several other podcast directories. If you use iTunes, please give us feedback and a rating to let everyone know that the Boxing for Free podcast is your source for boxing news and commentary. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time.